Hello everyone, welcome to the latest, the next, another, I don't even know what, I wouldn't even hope to try and keep track of what number we're on at this point. This particular show, the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, has existed across, what now, at this point, three different podcast platforms. It predates, I am not the original host of the show, I am the current host and have been for longer than the original host was. Love you, Mark. But, uh, again, I don't even want to try and keep track of numbers. If you've been listening, we've been going for a long time, number of years now. Anyway, this is the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. I'm Robert Winfrey, and tonight, whenever you happen to be listening to this, boy, do we have stuff to talk about. Last night, UFC 261. Oh, boy, that was a show, wasn't it? It was a show and a half. Uh, I got to apologize if I sound a little bit off. I need to apologize for some of the stuff from last week. I think I perpetually misspoke about UFC 261, calling it UFC 262. Uh, I didn't realize at the time, quite to the extent that I was coming down with a cold uh, last time I recorded. It put me in a bigger daze than I even realized at the time. And then I was sick... Yeah. More or less all week. Uh, I'm, I am 98% over it, but I might still sound a little bit funky. So, if I do, it's the head cold. There's nothing more serious than that, but it still sucks. So we'll be talking about UFC 261. And oof. if you're a fan of violence, and I am, that was a show. <laughs> Uh, we also have next week's event, UFC on ESPN 23, to preview. And then a bit of news. Little bits of news here and there. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what we've got. So, let us jump in to the first topic. UFC 261. Um, first, uh, I gotta do this off the top of the... I just, I just have to. This was the first event in front of a capacity crowd in almost a year for the UFC. They did two limited seating uh, events uh, in Abu Dhabi. One for, I forget the ESPN card. Um, And then for the McGregor-Poirier fight. Those were both around 2,000 people, I think. Which is really almost nothing as far as a crowd goes uh, for a UFC event. I mean, for want to preface that. For a UFC crowd, 2,000 is a is very small. Um, so here there were 15,000 plus. We might, I think they, we have the official attendance numbers. 15,269. So a little over 15,000 people. Um, I did not miss MMA fans as a viewer. I've got it. I don't have a nice way to say this, and um, uh, l- l- let me start with this. By the time we got to the top three fights, uh, it was okay, and the crowd reactions to the finishes was pretty darn great. I mean, there are moments or sing <clears throat> not fully singular, but exceptional fights that benefit tremendously from a good live crowd. There is no substitution for that. That's I, I think that's somewhat unequivocally true. 
The downside is everything else. Um, few examples. The, um, you, people of Jacksonville, the fans, or, you know, I don't know if they were all from Jacksonville, but everyone in attendance, you couldn't make it half a round into the first fight before the wooing started, could you? You just, and those, t the opening fight was not boring. Those two, uh, those two ladies, uh, Ariana Carnalosi and Nali, excuse me, Naliong, they had a good fight, uh, good action fight there were no breaks in that fight that was that was on it from start to finish and for some reason you all decided that we must woo and this became a fairly persistent occurrence i don't understand why i don't understand how this came to mma i don't understand why it persists at least in the context of professional wrestling, the woo as an homage to a spot d made famous by Ric Flair has context. It makes sense. Somebody lands a chop, you do the woo. I still actually find it a little bit annoying in pro wrestling, but at least you know why it's happening. When you, someone goes for the figure four, the woos kick out. Like it, it happens. I get it, and I get it in pro wrestling. I may not always like it, but I get it. I don't get this. I don't get this one bit. What are you doing? Just... Uh, oh, God. It's, it's an annoying sound to listen to. And if you're on a broadcast... Well, if you're watching it... I, I can't imagine how obnoxious that is in person. I genuinely can't. I need to say this for the record. Whatever personal desire I may have had to attend a live UFC event, be that as a fan or media, whatever bit of that interest existed within me, uh, you, all of you MMA fans, and I say you, I distanced myself from you on this occasion for a singular purpose. I guarantee I would never do that. I would never engage in that behavior. So this is a you, not a me thing. Most of the time when I talk about stuff we do as the community, I'm part of it, and I acknowledge that. I would... No. Never. Just never. Uh, I have no desire to attend a UFC event in person anymore. It, that has been beaten out of me through your relentless commitment to... You know, what is, I can't say it... I, I'm going to paraphrase Luke Thomas, because I don't think I can say it better than him. This mating call of the inebriated low-level primate... It's, it's just the worst. Now, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to, uh, other pundits, several, uh, seem to get a little bit annoyed at the people of Jacksonville for, uh, I'll talk about this, I'll t some of the stuff that they chose to cheer and boo for. I actually don't care. I don't care one iota. What bothered me, and this really actually bothered me a little bit the more I thought about it, um, YouTube celebrity, a uh, blogger, pseudo, like, sort of, uh, stunt boxer, Jake Paul, was in attendance for this event. Now, no one likes Jake Paul. I'm not here to advocate on behalf of Jake Paul. 
the <laughs> but you fans uh, who were in attendance for this the decision to at any lull in the action break out into a chant of f jake paul uh, that that bothered me mm. Didn't bother me. Again, this is not me saying, how dare you say something negative about Jake Paul. I've said negative things about Jake Paul. I will in the future. I'm not... <clears throat> again, pardon me if my throat gets a little bit wonky. I'm not here to say that you shouldn't hold the opinion that Jake Paul should go F himself. And that's a, that does not seem an unreasonable perspective, all things considered. But to chant that... While Anthony Smith and Jimmy Crute are fighting in the cage. Or while you know, Randy Brown and Alex Oliveira are fighting. I just... Or between rounds. Not every fight got... Uh, again, this was like a Smith and Crute thing. Uh, they didn't quite do it during the main event. But I think during the shevchenko Andrade fight. Just between rounds. Eh, we're bored. Hey, Jake Paul's still here. Uh, it It's disrespectful to the fighters. It's annoying to everyone watching at home. And here's the real kicker. You ready for this, guys? All you're doing is feeding his ego and making... He's winning! You bunch of... I'm going to say something here. And uh, this is going to be the last thing in this. We're going to move on to the fights. But seeing as this was the first event with live fans, especially, you know, capacity crowd on American soil, uh, I, I, I'd be remiss not to address this. The, the degree to which the vast majority of MM, the MMA fan base, hardcore or casual, looks down on professional wrestling, and I'm not here to advocate on behalf of professional wrestling. If you don't like it, fine. I, at various points in my life, I've enjoyed it, or I have not enjoyed it. When I don't enjoy it, I stop watching it. At the moment, I cover it. I probably wouldn't watch a whole lot if I wasn't covering it. But, so point being, I'm not here to advocate for it. You want to, if it doesn't appeal to you, rock on. I don't care. But, th there's some pro wrestling terminology I have to use here. The big one being Mark. A Mark in professional wrestling parlance is someone who buys into the story. Someone who is, you know, who... Uh, I, I hate to say thinks it's real, right? Because professional wrestling for... Jeez. Over two decades at this point, and for a long time before that... It, for a long time before Vince McMahon came out and publicly admitted it, it was kind of known. Eh, it's a work. So I hate to say thinks it's real, because that's what it used to mean, but that's not what it means anymore. Someone who just kind of really buys into it, or... You, and I don't mean that as like, oh, I'm a fan of it, oh, you're a mark. I mean, you could make the argument, but that's way too noodly into the professional wrestling psychology. It's someone who... Um, you know, sees Roman Reigns beat the crap out of Daniel Bryan and kick him off SmackDown and goes, how dare Roman Reigns ruin Daniel Bryan's career? I'm like, okay, buddy, 
And, and again, there, there's a degree to which you, again, just like buying into it, you don't think they're actually hurting each other necessarily, but it, again, the, the modern era of professional wrestling and its relationship to that term even is very, very muddy. Or you're getting overly emotionally invested in a kind of thing. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard with, with professional wrestling to really kind of suss out what it means these days. But in MMA, in the world of MMA and boxing, uh, so many of you are marks. Hey, Jake Paul showed up. How about we spend minutes on a highly successful, on a, I'm assuming the buy rate is very, is quite good. This was trending very, very well to be a very successful event. So on a large UFC event that's been hyped, purchased by, th- by, you know, Seen by millions of people, okay? I don't know what the buy rate is, but seen by millions of people around the world. Let's give this guy, who everybody hates, free publicity. They only showed Jake Paul on the broadcast once. For, you know, a couple of seconds when they were doing their, hey, here's a bunch of famous people in attendance. Once. There were multiple instances across multiple fights of this crowd deciding that this guy is going to get free publicity. And oh no, we were telling him to go F himself. He doesn't care. The heels, the bad guys, want you to boo them. They want you to pay money, mostly to them, to see them lose. You give Jake Paul that kind of attention, he's winning. He, I don't know how he did this. One fight, one boxing bout against Ben Askren, a retired, uh, just how old was Ben? It's about my age, I seem to recall, 35, 36, but retired, former Olympian, by remind, uh, impressive wrestler turned MMA fighter who never had any real degree of striking acumen who and had been retired for a few years, for a couple of years at that point, and had had a hip replacement in the meantime. He knocks him out in the first round of a boxing match, and suddenly the MMA community at large wants this guy's head on a stake. Most of you could not have told me most of you couldn't name a Ben Askren fight outside of his three in the UFC. You couldn't tell me about any of his fights in Bellator when he reigned over that over their welterweight division. Any of the stuff he did in one, you, you couldn't do any of it. You didn't know he existed. But now, because he went out went over to boxing and represented MMA, no, he didn't. Ben Askren made more for that for the record, Ben Askren had more for that boxing bout than he did probably in his entire, I shouldn't say his entire MMA career. And again, maybe. Pick any stretch of half of his professional career. He made more money for that, for get, to get knocked out in less than two minutes by Jake Paul. Made more money for that than he did at for any stretch of 50% of his career, 50% of his fights in MMA. I guarantee you that. Uh, 
Yeah, he, he didn't go there as a to represent MMA. He went there to get paid. But now Jake Paul is, and we'll get more into this in a little bit, he is successfully trolling the MMA fan base, specifically the UFC fan base, because you guys are very easy to troll. You are, again, you buy into all the crap. And it's, I've, I've observed this in the past about MMA fans, because it's weird to me, but you all want to be lied to. You really do. And I, I don't understand it, but apparently that's what's going on. You, again, you want there to be, a, you want somebody to be a bad guy and somebody to be a good guy, and you want them to hate each other, and then as soon as the fight's over, you want them to shake hands and hug, and, oh, good sportsmanship, and isn't this just the best? I'm telling you, 90% of the time, that means either the animosity was fake or significantly exaggerated, or the reconciliation is fake or significantly exaggerated. It you, you want performance theater. You you want theater. You want performance theater, and then you want to believe it's real. <laughs> I, I I don't understand this. Uh, I don't understand the weird relationship that you all have with reality. And, and not, to be clear, I used to be that. Uh, this is not me sta- lording over, you know, <laughs> lording over the MMA fan base going, look at these fools. No, I used to. I really did. Uh, uh, no, it, you, you're getting worked, guys. You really are. And I don't, if you're okay with it, cool. Just be honest about the fact that you're getting worked. That's really all I ask. And yeah, Jake Paul is working the MMA fan base, and he's gonna make a lot of money when he doing so. <laughs> he's Jake Paul and Dana White have traded a few barbs very, very recently, so we'll get into that a little bit. Um, yeah, it's uh, you guys detracting from the actual fights by giving Jake Paul attention like that was annoyed me as a viewer and annoyed me on behalf of the fighters who whose efforts were diminished by your antics. Uh, look, you get you want to boo Zhang Wiley because she's Chinese and Rose Namajunas is American and look, that's a stupid dichotomy to try and draw for that fight. But you know, I've I've long since given up trying to understand that. Not that I don't have pride in my nation. I do. Not that I don't, but, and this is one of the other things about this that kind of annoys me a little bit. The number of people who go, how dare you boo, you know, Zhang because she's, uh, because of where she comes from. She has no control over that. True. That's true. Are a lot of the same people in media who will pick a team and gleefully gloat over the fallen hopes and dreams of their rivals. Now, if you want to make an argument that, you know, an individual sport is not the same as a team sport, I'm I'm not, this is not one-to-one. But you get, there's enough cross-comparison there. that I, I think it's close enough for it to be a little bit, eh. Like, I, I wouldn't, like me, I'm never going to boo someone because of where they come from. I don't care. 
If you want to, I, I think that's an unenlightened view of the world, but we're also talking about sports. Nothing enlightened about it. And if we're talking purely about enlightenment. Uh, and I also tend to think there was as much... A lot of it wasn't booing Zhang because... Jeez, you know, boo, it's more, you know, we're cheering for the other person, ergo we boo you. Uh, Usman got a lot of that, I think, in the main event. You know, he got booed pretty thoroughly uh, until the end. You know, when uh, when he and Hor uh, and we'll talk about that. But you know, once once the fight was over, you know, no, not a whole lot of reason to boo the guy anymore, uh, because most people weren't so much rooting against him as rooting for Jorge, which is. It's just a slightly different dynamic, you know? Like, Colby gets booed because he's deliberately antagonistic. So, whatever he does, he's going to get booed. Booing or cheering is de is defined not by I have a deep investment in you as a person so much as I care about how you relate to this other person in this fight. Then once it's over, a lot of that tends to kind of fade. Uh, so... I'm just, I'm, I'm not been out of shape about that. I, I'd rather it didn't happen. But, uh, who was it on Twitter? I think it was Ben Folks. So, you know, how, how dare you boo Zhang Weili? She's done nothing but, uh, kick butt and be polite. And, sir, I watched and covered her UFC fight against Danielle Taylor. There was no butt kickery in that fight whatsoever. <laughs> Not saying you should. I'm not saying you should boo the woman for it. that fight was years ago, and she's, you know, pretty awesome at this point when it comes to fighting. But that's a little bit revisionist. Just a touch. Again, booing her because of her nat, because of her uh, nationality. I think it's stupid. But I think booing a, I think booing a team because they're from New York when you're from Boston is stupid. But hey. What do I know, right? Anyway, enough about that. On to the fights themselves. So now that I've mentioned, you know, I didn't miss fans as a, as a viewer on television. Did not miss that. Uh, as you know, didn't miss that. Main event. Oh boy. UFC welterweight champion Kamaru Usman defended his title by knocking the... He knocked the braids out of Jorge's head. Not literally, but good grief. Um, was it a minute and change into the first? 102 into the second. Sorry, second round. Um, talk about the first round for a minute. I think most people gave it to Usman. Doing this live, I gave it to Masvidal. I'm not sold on that. Uh, I, I said at the time, that was really close. Masvidal landed more strikes. You could argue whether or not Usman landed better strikes. There was an Usman takedown. It didn't lead to anything. Um, I think it was just for me, a little bit of the the last bit of the round. Masvidal landed a couple of really good leg kicks. Actually landed a bit of a flying knee. Like It was a close round. Uh, second round. Um, big thing relative to the finish. Usman landed his straight right a couple of times, but it didn't really seem to 
I don't know if it was a timing issue. I mean, Jorge Masvidal is a great chin. That just for, that needs to be said first of all. So maybe you know they were not they were certainly not you know pillow fist punches, but they didn't quite seem to get to him. He did a lot of jabbing to the body, uh, to the you know, chest and a little bit lower body, which is a really successful move for Usman. Uh, Usman's talked in the past about how messed up his knees are. Um, he. Uh, I think, like, all his cardio is done on an elliptical machine or swimming. He doesn't run uh, almost hardly at all. Uh, the man's knees are just not great. So he doesn't wrestle. Uh, he doesn't shoot low like a lot. He, on very, very rare occasions. He just generally doesn't. But he will reach and grab. And that jab to the body uh, will either disguise... It's either, A, a good jab to the body... It disguises him reaching in for either a clinch or a high crotch, or it big advantage to the body jab. The shoulder motion is the same that sets up the overhand right. Now, Usman does not land an overhand right when he knocked out Masvidal in the second. He beautifully executed a uh, the, the sequence. His left hand. So they're both orthodox. So his lead hand fakes like it's jabbing, same kind of motion, but instead of jabbing to the chest, goes all the way through to grab Jorge's right hand, so his rear. Um, Masvidal, thinking this is a jab to the body, throws a check left hook, which is a nice counter to that punch. The head's a little bit open. You clip him with it. Uh, unfortunately, this removed any ability that Jorge had for defense. Your rear hand is now trapped, uh, you know, kind of trapped and parried by Usman's left, and your own left is in motion, throwing a hook, which leaves open a really beautiful straight punching lane for a straight right hand, which is what Usman landed, and he uh, he punched through Jorge Masvidal. <laughs> I mean, if there had been a man standing immediately behind Jorge, Masvidal would have hit him and knocked him out, too. I mean, this was one of the hardest punches I've ever seen landed at welterweight, first of all. <clears throat> Pardon me. Might be the hardest punch I've ever seen landed at welterweight. Uh, it was... He, this was a, when I say this was a boxing hard punch, if you, if you watch boxing, when they really land on each other, they knock the, you get that big halo effect of sweat as it just, it just blasted off of you. It's not always sweat, it's water, uh, you know, you know, whatever liquid it is. And then you just get that, you know, kind of, uh, that uh, effect as it is, as you, it's just blasted out away from their head from the concussive force. He knocked the... He, you know, Masvidal did his thing about baptizing. Buddy, he knocked every ounce of water off of Jorge's head. <laughs> like, just wrung that sponge dry with one punch. Uh, brutal, brutal knockout. Um, that's the first... I need to put this into proper context, why this is so impressive. Jorge Masvidal had not been finished since 2009. Think about that for just a second. 
In 2009, Toby Yamada at a Bellator event caught him with a funky inverted triangle and choked him out. He's lost since then, but all of them were decisions, most of them split. And most of those fights, actually, hang on. I want to count up how many of those were at the, were in a, were in a high-level organization. Okay, so, loses to Yamada, that's Bellator 5. Wins at Bellator 12, and submits somebody, knocks somebody out at World Victory Road, uh, at Sengoku 11. Loses, wins, smaller fights, loses to Paul Daly. At Shark Fights, then debuts in Strike Force. So in 2011, he debuts in Strike Force, and since then, so for 10 years, this man has been fighting in either Strike Force or the UFC. And nobody has stopped him. Look at some of the names he fought. Let me just read these off for that period of time. Uh, Billy, Billy Evangelista, isn't that Cyborg? Might be mistaking him for somebody else. Okay, I am. So, Evangelista, KJ Nunes, Gilbert Melendez, Justin Wilcox, Tim Means, Rustam Khabilov, Pat Healy, Darren Crookshank, James Krause, Ally Aquinta, Cesar Fajaya, Benson Henderson, Lorenz Larkin, Ross Pearson, Jake Ellenberger, Donald Cerrone, Damian Maya, Stephen Thompson, Darren Till, Ben Askren, and Nate Diaz. And the first fight with Kamaru Usman. And none of those people were able to stop him. And that's... That man is durable. And... In this fight, Usman sent him just, uh, he sent him to the, I I don't even know what to say, out cold. I mean, just punched his ticket, man. (laughs) Uh, brutal knockout. Uh, now, I think prior to that, uh, Masvidal was stopped with strikes in 2008 when he fought Rodrigo Dom. But, uh, yeah, that's it. Only the se- Okay. This was, uh... This was Jorge Masvidal's 50th fight. And in 50 fights, that man had been stopped with strikes exactly twice now. That's insane. And this was the first time he'd ever been... I mean, I don't object to the uh, the stoppage in the Rodrigo-Dom fight. In fact, the punch that set it up was similar from both of them. But the stoppage in the Dom fight was fine, but he was still conscious. I mean, you know, for his conscious... I mean, he was still... He wasn't defending himself, so again, I don't object to that stoppage. But he wasn't out. Kamaru Usman put him out uh, that is a heck of a thing. Uh, so, Usman, God. What do you say about Kamar Usman at this point, man? He's ru- he's won... How many fights in a row now? Almost 20? I think this was 18. Yeah, he's won 18 fights in a row. Most of those in the UFC. Uh... 
This was defense number four, five? Hang on. One, two, four, okay. Fourth title defense. Uh, he now has the longest winning streak in UFC welterweight history at 14. Yeah, 14 fights in the UFC. Won all of them. Um, not only won all of them, none of them have been close. Just look at this for just a second. All right, some of these names you may not rec you may not recognize. I mean, a few of them washed out of the UFC. But what what's the closest fight that man has had? I mean, the Covington fight is the obvious and only answer. Because going into the fifth round of that fight, uh, the scores in that fight were weird, but I'm trying to remember how I had it scored going into the fifth. I might have been even. I might have been even, or I might, uh, but the official scorecards were the only ones that matter. Going into the fifth round of that Covington fight, one judge was 3-1 uh, Usman, one was 3-1 Covington, and one was 2-2. Two, two. That is, far and away, the closest fight Kamaru Usman has had in his entire UFC career. A Gilbert Burns fight, he got, he got blitzed a little bit early, but ultimately recovered. And even did very good work for the rest of that round after he got hurt. And then obviously finished off Burns in the second. Uh, and the fight with Dos Anjos wasn't close. The fight with Woodley wasn't close. The first Masvidal fight wasn't especially close. Like, what do you say about that guy? I mean, he is... He is, I think, at this point pretty clearly the second best welterweight in UFC history. I think it's GSP at the top and Kamaru behind him and Usman might catch him. I don't say that lightly. And I don't... It's hard to really kind of parse out how you would compare those two. Because uh, I'm not sure. Let me put it this way. For a variety of reasons, I don't think he's going to get to GSP's number of title defenses. Which is not me saying I'm going to pick pick against him anytime soon. I just... It's really... I just find it deeply unlikely from a statistical standpoint. Uh, and I'm not even... I mean, he even mentioned himself. He's not sure how much longer he's going to be in the sport. And that's one of the things that came out this week. Like, I'm not... Uh, doesn't know how many more... How much longer he's got in him. Uh, he's still beating the brakes off of everybody. But, you know, his health is a real concern. You know, his quality of life health uh, after he's done. So, and, you know, maybe he just... You know, the, the injury load and the training load in MMA is... I don't think we talk about it enough. It's a big deal. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, but so, again, I'm just, I'm not sure he's going to get, I mean, he's at four now. How many did GSP have? Confirm that before I uh, talk too much. GSP had what? Um, nine? Yeah. Nine. 
and Usman right now is at four. Do I? So I'm. Let me, look, this is not a question of his physical ability. I think he's the best welterweight in the world. I don't know who would beat him. Uh, there's a couple of fights that interest me for him, one of which will be his next fight. Uh, that Colby Covington fight. I'm. I'm. I am interested in that fight. I just am. I would be curious to see how he would match up with Stephen Thompson. I would favor him quite heavily. <laughs> but I think the style that Wonderboy presents is... Uh, it's something I want to see. But... I, I'm... Point being, I'm not picking against him because I think he's... I'm not saying this because I think there's a... He's barely above the pack and the the, the, the wolves are at the door. You know, the barbarians are at the gate of the Usman Empire. It's, it, it's not quite that. I don't know that he will still be fighting um, for enough more years to get five more title defenses. I might be wrong. Because um, this, this was his second of this year, right? The, the Burns fight was, yeah, February. Boy, that was a fast turnaround for him. So he's fought twice this year. He might fight one more time in uh, in 21. Might. But you would still need four more. And it's unlikely you're going to... It's rare when you get a title... A champion defending their belt three times in a calendar year. That doesn't happen very often. That would be a heck of a thing if he pulls that off, to be quite honest. If he fights Colby uh, before the end of 21 and beats him... Woo. Three, t- three times in twelve, three times in a calendar year is tough. That's, that's a tough schedule uh, for anybody. Heck, depending on when that happens, if it happens this year, he fought Covington on December 14th of 19. He only had the yeah he only okay sorry he only had the one fight in 2020. Uh, he he waited several months because he had the the first Masvidal fight was July of 2020, didn't fight again until February of 21. Um, so again, ask yourself with injury load, with potential burnout, um, and with the inherent chaos of MMA, and there was a lot of that on this card. Uh, I I just I'm not sure he's gonna get five more title defenses. So. Is that, does that mean he's it's impossible for him to catch up to GSP as an all-time welterweight, as the best all-time welterweight? No. He's already got more, the longest... He's got a longer winning streak right now than GSP had. Uh, George, I think, has more... George has more um, total wins in welterweight history. But Usman might get that one, too. Because... How many does GSP have? Jeez, I think I just have left that up one open but he has all but one of GSP's fights in the in the UFC was at welterweight he has okay George has 19 wins in the welterweight division uh, so, so 19 overall against Usman's you know 14 fight winning streak so if he gets five more he will he will tie GSP in both overall wins and title defenses. Uh, 
But I don't... I mean, again, I don't know how likely that is. I just don't. But... I mean, even if Usman only has, say, one more. You know, say he beats Covington, or let's throw another one in there. Let's say he beats Leon Edwards. I'm going to throw somebody out there. He beats those two. He may not need the same num- the same numerical dominance, you know, the same uh, statistical accomplishments that George had to make a very solid case for himself being the best uh, rather than GSP, if we're talking just about welterweight. Um... He is, yeah, he is the best welterweight in the world, in the, he's the best welterweight on the planet. There is nobody at 170 pounds I would pick to beat that man. Now, somebody's going to do it or he's going to retire. That's the way this goes. But when they do, it will not be, I don't think I'll be picking them when they do. I don't know, who knows? Maybe that, maybe I will, maybe I will. Maybe I'll see something at some point, but at the moment, I don't. I I will not be picking Colby Covington. Well, I'm going to say this. Won't be terribly shocked if Covington wins. I think Covington is uh, probably the toughest fight for Kamaru Usman, based on how they match up stylistically. Uh, but I'm picking Kamaru against that division. Just, there's, that's the man. Um, he might be the pound for pound number one if you do, if you if you do the pound for pound discussions. I mean his level of dominance, and not just his dominance, uh, especially if we're just talking like relative to the division. Um, he is better than everybody in that division. That is a very good division. And if you look at his skill set, you know if you do the mythical pound for pound thing, well, what if everyone was the same size? You put him and Francis Ngannou together with the same skill set at the same size, I'm picking Kamaru Usman. Without a whole lot of hesitation. I, you know, whether you want to scale up or down anybody else, I don't, you know, Davison Figueredo, nah. I mean, not knocking Figueredo, but even if they're the same size, uh uh-uh. Or Sterling. Peter Yawn. Can't believe I just dismissed the champion because, well, I made my thoughts on that perfectly clear. Peter Yawn, I think, if he and Usman were the same size, would be a great fight. Yawn is an exceptional counter-wrestler, an exceptional offensive wrestler, and is really good about just kind of breaking you down slowly at first, and then that ju- the The trouble you are, you're in when you fight Peter Yawn is like a, a, a parabolic curve. Okay, okay, okay. A little worse, a little worse, a little worse. Suddenly, boom! You're just screwed. Um, you know, Max Holloway or Volkanovski? Volkanovski would be an in, would be a very interesting fight you know, if they were the same size. But I would favor Kamaru, just candidly. Uh, he might, So again, he might be the pound-for-pound pound number one. Uh, he's, he's that good. Uh, uh, Covington rematch seems like that's what's next. The UFC announced that, how, whether or not that, whether or not that pans out remains to be seen. Um, you've got Leon Edwards and Nick Diaz, um, Nate Diaz, excuse me, Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz fighting soon, so. Uh, Wonder Boy's still floating around out there. There's still a few options for Usman. 
But Covington seems next, and bring it on, man. I, I, I didn't enjoy their first fight as much as other people. Uh, I've made that very clear. Not my thing. But I think it's the I think it is the best fight you can make for both guys. Whether that mean whether that plays out when they step into the cage, we'll just have to find out. Uh, Masvidal, I don't know what Masvidal does next. Yeah, there's options. Uh, but boy, he. Uh, I think this this was the kind of definitive end of his. Uh, flirtation with the title picture. Um, not that he's not still a relevant fighter in the division. He is. He's still a very, uh, he's still a very big star for the UFC. We'll have to see how much that took a hit here, but overall. So, I don't know what he's going to do next, but he's still going to be featured prominently whenever he fights next, and he's still going to make a fair amount of money, and I hope he does. That was your main event. Brutal knockout. One of the knockouts of the year. I don't... There have been some disgusting knockouts this year, guys. I think Kaposa, uh, you know, Grabaka Hitman on Twitter, mentioned it. There's We're four months into 2021, and there has been some craziness in MMA. If you follow him on Twitter, and you should, he will constantly put up some of the craziness from the regional scene. We've seen some crazy stuff in the UFC. I'm going to get into the rest of this card. Talking too long about... <laughs> What's going on? But yeah, MMA's on a little bit of bath sauce right now, man. <laughs> like, it's nuts. So, we'll see what's next. Anyway, that was your main event. Uh, great, great finish. Brutal knockout. Co-main event. Also a fairly brutal knockout. Rose Namajunas makes history. She becomes the first woman in UFC history to regain a title after losing it when she knocked out Zhang Weili with a head kick 118 of the first round. Um, I can't say almost anything about this fight. Not only was it short, not a lot happened. Uh, Zhang threw some inside leg. I mean, Rosanama Yunus landed less than 10 strikes. Like... She landed a couple of jabs. Uh, I think she hit the body once. Zhang landed a body kick. I think some of the, just, but nothing happened, and then all of a sudden, Rose, uh, she kind of faints with the jab. She'd been showing it more than landing it. Uh, and she kind of faints a little bit with that. The lead leg comes up, and Zhang pretty clearly thinks that's coming as an inside leg kick. She starts squaring up a little bit, tries to... Everything about her body reaction in tells you what she thought was coming. And Rose kicks her in the face. And she drops, and Rose pounds her out on the mat, and... Uh, yeah. Um, did I tell you how hard it is to regain a title after you've lost it? When you think about the number of... Think about the number of women in the UFC who have been champion, and how good some of them have been. Just for the, let's just run this down real fast. If we look at straw weight, Carla Esparza never even got close to a title, second title shot. Uh, Joanna had two shots at regaining the title, couldn't do it. I thought she beat Jong. I scored it for her, but eh, she didn't ultimately and officially. Uh, 
women's flyweight Nico Montano got stripped, and then Valentina has just lorded over that division. We'll get to her in a minute. Bantamweight. Ronda Rousey couldn't do it, and she got a shot. Holly Holm couldn't do it, and has had several. Well, several might be an exaggeration. She's had more than one shot at regaining a at regaining the bantamweight title. Uh, or hold another you know, another opportunity to hold gold. So she could. So Ronda couldn't do it. Holly couldn't do it. Misha Tate never even got close. Like she won the belt. Amanda Nunes brutalized her. She went on a skid and retired, and then recently now she's come back, but never even got close to another title shot. And then Amanda's held that thing ever since. Um, Jermaine Durandamy would also count technically, won a belt. Um, then never really got all that close to winning that or another one. Uh, Cyborg. You know, same thing. I mean, she left the UFC after losing the belt, but that's not an easy... It is a hard thing to do, and Rosanama Yunus did it. Uh, so my my hat's off to her. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about the fight. So little happened. But kudos to her for, do, for doing it. Uh, I don't know exactly what's next for her. I... The way this played out, I wouldn't hate a rematch, not an immediate rematch. Let me be very clear about this. There is no reason to give Zhang Weili an immediate rematch. Uh, there's no controversy around the stoppage. I know she was I know she was pissed. And I don't blame her for being pissed about losing. Uh, but there was no controversy. You got knocked out in a minute and 18 seconds. Uh, sorry, man. You got to earn that back. You don't get one right away. Uh, so, I don't know, Jessica Andrade might come back down. and Boy, if she and Rose have a trilogy... I don't know if Andrade is even amenable to going back down to strawweight. But if those two have a trilogy fight for the belt again, might be a thought. That might be a thought. Um, so, I, I think Zhang needs to win another fight. But if she and Rose both win their next fights, throw them back together. That's one of the interesting things about this. Uh, about this kind of an outcome. It means you have to win to get back to the belt. But it also means that um, there's still a lot of questions that Zhang could pose of Nama Yunus that we didn't get answers to. I think everyone with a brain knew that you know, the way Nama Yunus fights is very successful very early. This ended very early. And maybe if they have another fight, it goes similarly. And the the entire issue of, well, Namiuna slows down over time and Jean can kind of put it on her later, never comes up. Which would be fine. If that's just kind of the way this plays out. Namiuna might just be a very, very bad matchup for Jean from a stylistic standpoint. You know, kind of the way Andrade is a tough fight for Namiuna. And again, that's that's just style. Like that's just the way Rose fights, relative to the way Andrade fights. Uh, so, congratulations to Nama Yunus. Nice knockout. Um, again, I don't know exactly who's next for her. Uh, but, she, there's plenty of options. You know, Strawweight's a very, very good division. So, 
kudos to her on this, and we'll see how long... Let's see how her second title reign goes. Alright. Uh, <laughs> featured fight. Valentina Shevchenko defeats Jessica Andrade via TKO. Elbows from the Mounted Crucifix. Uh, 3.19 of the second. This fight... Everybody and their dog picked Shevchenko here, right? Like, I did, you did. I think I... I think we... <laughs> How do I say this? Um, I wasn't shocked that Valentina won. I'm not shocked that she got a stoppage. I'm not even... I'm not even shocked that, um... That as the fight played out, that she was clearly the better fighter, if that makes sense. This was not a competitive fight. At no point in this fight was it competitive. Shevchenko either... Uh, hit Andrade with some really nice straight punches at distance, or took her down with really nice body locks. Uh, she hit some really sweet throws. She'd get in close, she'd get the hands together, keep the grip tight, go one direction, get Andrade going one direction, and then bring her back the other, which is how you do that. Uh, I don't want to be one of these guys who just, you know, massively overblows Shevchenko's abilities. I really don't. But that woman, at 125, has what is probably an unbeatable combination of technique and physicality. Jessica Andrade is a tank. Like, that woman was... Is, she fought at bantamweight for, for a long time because that was the only division for women in the UFC. And she was throwing around bantamweights. Like, she's like an ant. Uh, Jessica Andrade is like an ant. Her strength is radically disproportionate to her size. <laughs> and she was uh, just, you know, launching people around. Uh, couldn't throw Valentina through a combination of physical... Valentina's physical strength is constantly overlooked. But through a combination of physical strength and technique, uh, Shevchenko stopped the one time Andrade tried to lift her. Uh, just nothing doing there. And just took her down, controlled her. Uh, I expected Shevchenko to win. I This was just so shockingly not competitive that I I don't know what you do. There is no one at 125... Who can pose a challenge to Valentina? Everybody in their... Again, like, everybody lost their mind when she fought Jennifer Maya. Because Maya reversed a poor takedown attempt and held a bit of top control enough to win a round from Chevchenko. And, oh, see? Shit, yeah, wrestling. Yeah, yeah, see? And then, you ignoring the fact that Chevchenko out-wrestled Jennifer Maya for the other four rounds... Uh, that wasn't, that wasn't a close fight either. I don't know. The reaction to that fight was, ah, oh, okay. it's bizarre because there is no middle, the number of people with a sober assessment of Valentina Shevchenko and who choose to present a sober assessment of Valentina Shevchenko seems very small. You're mostly either going to be a fanboy uh, or girl, 
You're either going to be just a, a devotee, or one of the people quietly just waiting for her to lose so you can go, she was never that good anyway, see? Uh, not a lot of middle ground here. And there are plenty of, there are people who have a sober assessment and then deliberately, because they either, for, you know, good-natured or ill-natured trolling purposes, uh, or ju or uh, just you know, for the for the economics of MMA culture, don't present it that way. Uh, thinking pretty clearly about Jack Slack there. You know, the man has a sober assessment of Valentina Shevchenko. He just very much enjoys <laughs> annoying all of her fans <laughs> uh, because so much of the online discussion around her is uh, is like steeped in hagiography, hey almost. It's yeah. But and I mean this in all sincerity. There's no one at 125 for Valentina Shevchenko. Absolutely no one. I think Lauren Murphy is like the next contender if you're gonna technically give it to somebody. Like, you want that poor woman to die? I mean, die's an exaggeration, of course, but you know what I mean. Like, there's no one at that division. None. She could... Pr I No, that's it. See, that's the superlative... That's the, you know, over-the-top hyperbole I'm not going to engage in. Um, but, no. Like, Andrade was very clearly the number one contender. Former champion. A very strong... Uh, aggressive, well-rounded fighter. Like, Andrade can fight everywhere. She can fight... She can fight on the feet. She can fight in the clinch. She can fight on the ground. Like, she's not great off of her back, but she gets on top of you, boy, she will put a hurting on you. Like, Andrade is a very good fighter. And Shevchenko just steamrolled her. I... We've, it's probably got to be, if they can't make it work for a third fight between her and Amanda Nunes, I don't know what you do with her. Other than just, all right, sure. You know, here's the next, here's the next sacrificial offering. Good luck. Uh, there had been some, there was some discussion, I know, that if Zhang had won... Maybe she would go up to 125 and challenge uh, Shevchenko. Uh, which still might be a thing. You know, if, if Zhang wants... To... Look, flyweight's not a deep division. Uh, the path to a title shot there is quite short. It took Jessica Andrade one fight to get a title shot. But boy, not a steep mountain to climb, right? But the person occupying the top of the mountain... Woof. They they are not stepping aside easy. Shevchenko is... Look, and she's the best 125-er in the world. She's one of the best bantamweights in the world. She doesn't even fight there anymore. I mean that in all sincerity. Like, if she fought... If she was going to be like Misha Tate's comeback fight, which would be... A little bit odd, but just kind of bear the thought experiment out here with me, yeah? Would you pick Misha Tate to beat Valentina Shevchenko? Would you pick the best version of Misha Tate to beat Valentina Shevchenko right now? I wouldn't. Not by a long shot. 
I, yeah, I, I don't know what you do with her. You either keep throwing her increasingly outmatched opposition to bulldoze, or you try to make a third fight with her and Nunez. Uh, other than that, I don't know. But, yeah, she's... She's the best at that weight class, and she is probably the second best bantamweight. Just throwing it out there. Alright, so those are your three title fights. Rest of this card should be a little bit quicker from here on out. I mean, you guys probably don't want me... Don't want me to go on for all, you know, forever. Um, Uriah Hall defeats Chris Weidman 17 seconds into the first round. Uriah Hall never threw a single strike in this fight. Weidman threw a leg kick. Uriah Hall planted and turned his leg out just a bit to check it. Weidman's kick landed just below the knee. It's a bad spot for that to land. And Chris Weidman's shin snapped in half. Not exaggerating. That is not poetic license. His shin bone snapped in half, and we're done. I... What are the odds? I... Let me get to the, like, the, the poetic side of this in just a second, because I do want to touch briefly on that. But what are the freaking odds? That injury, that that particular injury, the you know, leg, the, the shin bone snapping as you throw a, as you, uh, as you uh, land a leg kick or it gets. I mean, even if you sometimes if you land it, if your shins aren't properly conditioned, um, or you kick improperly, even if you just straight up land it, they don't necessarily have to check it all that hard. That's a freak injury, right? Like that is a freak injury. It, by which I mean. It doesn't happen very often. It is a... It, it's a lightning bolt. Now, it, you can look up... You can look up compilations of this stuff on YouTube, but that's drawn from thousands and thousands of fights in MMA, in Muay Thai, in K1 kick... Like, whatever your discipline of kick... That incorporates kicks to the leg, you're, if you draw on thousands and thousands of those fights you can probably put together a, again, a compilation of this happening. But understand the enormous pool of, in, the, the enormous sample size that you are drawing from to get that. These are very rare. So what are the odds that you do that to someone and then it happens to you? They have to be astronomical. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, technically speaking, what the odds of that of that leg break happening are. I know it does not happen often. So, to be on both the giving and receiving end of that kind of freak injury, what are the odds? Boggles the mind. <laughs> um... The poetic side of this is, for the record, if you don't know, this is how Chris Weidman beat Anderson Silva the second time. Anderson, they were opposite stances. Anderson threw an inside leg kick. 
Weidman checked it with his knee like you're supposed to, and it snapped Anderson Silva's shin in half. That was... How long ago was that? I have to look that up now. It was 2013. So not uh, December of 13. So a little less than eight years. And eight years later... There's some again. Any time, if you watch the same group of fighters for a long enough period of time, there is not to use the the George Lucas meme, but there is poetry to it, right? There's there's this, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's evil. Sometimes it's Michael Bisbing on. Short notice, with one eye, getting the call to fight a guy that he hates, that they've been going back and forth, a guy that beat him pretty badly when they first fought. And now, after 20 freaking five fights in the UFC, the grizzled veteran against the pretty boy who's going to rule the division on short notice gets his first straight knockout in years. That's that's poetry, right? Sort of. You, you get what I'm saying? And that's the ascendant kind. Like that's the 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 you know, the good, the glorifying kind. You're Chris Weidman, and you beat Anderson Silva, first guy to do it in the UFC. You beat this guy Uriah Hall in the regional scene, handed him his first loss. Then, you know, you defend the belt a couple of times. You lose it. You start on the downhill slide, which he's still on. Then, after getting back on the winning side of things, and, you know, maybe, you, by his own admission, Nose doesn't have a whole lot of time left, but I got one, I think I got one more run in me. Rematch with a guy that he beat earlier. And not just the guy he beat earlier, but Uriah Hall, also the last man to beat Anderson Silva in the UFC. Because he beat him and Silva left. Or was caught, or, you know, whatever you want to say about it. First man to beat Silva in the UFC, Chris Weidman. Last man to beat Silva in the UFC, Uriah Hall. Two men who met on the regional scene in the in the, the northeast of the United States. Weidman winning when he was the steamroller on way to the top of the world. And on this day, on this night, 17 seconds into the first round... He throws a leg kick that gets checked and shatters his shin the same way he did to Anderson Silva. Fighting the last guy to beat Anderson Silva. That's... Plenty of people on Twitter said this. You couldn't put that in a movie. You could not write that into a combat sports drama movie... No one would believe it. No one would believe that. And yet, reality. That's what happened to Chris Weidman. That is some... That is some wicked, dark poetry, isn't it? I don't know what to say about the injury. As far as, like, that was horrific. 
Like, I didn't turn my stomach. I got a strong constitution for this kind of thing, and I'm, that's not me dismissing anyone who doesn't want to watch that. That was a bad one. Like, not to... It was a little bit worse, I think, than Anderson Silva's for a pretty specific reason. Silva throws that kick. It breaks. Brings the leg back, but he never really plants weight on it. Uh, it comes back, and he kind of he kind of starts coming down, and then he just kind of collapses. He never really, you know, weight goes back onto that leg. Weidman did. I'm a... Miracle's the wrong word here. I'm a little bit surprised the bone did not extrude from the skin. Just because not only does he kick it and it breaks, he doesn't even feel it at first. He brings his leg back, goes to plant on the foot that is now not structurally connected to the rest of his body weight. And Dana White has the has a couple of slow-mo res- uh the slow-mo of this on Twitter. And again, if you don't want to watch it, fine. If you want to know what I'm talking about, look it up. And he puts weight, he puts his weight on that bad boy. Like, Silva doesn't. Silva's weight stays on his planted leg as that foot comes back. And it's, it's coming down, but his weight isn't shifting onto it. Weidman's kind of is. Like, he's kicking that and he's going to plant back on it. Uh... That was bad. He was, um, he, I'm recording this Sunday, so he had surgery probably already. They gave us a broadcast update uh, on the show that he was going to have surgery today. I, I hope he recovers. Now, as gruesome as it is, and as much pain as he was in, boy, was he in pain. And I'm not knocking the man one iota for the pain. Like, that was bad. Uh, it is ultimately, hopefully, we stress this, hopefully just a broken bone. And there's no complications. So fingers crossed for that, right? Because broken bones suck. Especially like that. that. Again, bad one. But if it's just the bone... That's not the worst thing in the world to heal, right? You know what was the, the I mean, what was the problem with Alex Smith's injury, right? It wasn't just the spiral fracture. That was bad. Like that's that's bad. Especially his. Like that was real bad. The real problem wasn't the bone break. It was the infections that arose. That was the problem. So there. So as if it's just the bone, that's, again, that's not the worst thing to heal. Contemporary medical science, pretty darn good at dealing with broken bones. Uh, so hopefully there's no complications there. Now, again, there might, there's all kinds of things that could go wrong. There could be nerve damage. Uh, he, there's not really any ligaments there. Or, you know, there's not really any ligaments or tendons that could, I don't think could have been too badly damaged. And again, man, the way he came down... I think even the Achilles at that point, like, it would slip and slide rather than be stretched and snapped. But, uh, point being, 
hopefully there's no complications. I don't know that we'll... I want to be careful how I say this. Anderson Silva, again, came back from essentially this same break. If the break is all th that's wrong, it's very, very similar. Not identical in some respect. If not identical. Either way. It's not impossible to come back from taken in isolation. Assuming just the bone. Here's the thing about Chris Weidman. Not only is the man 36. Which is not that old. Uh, in the span of his life. Right? He's not even halfway done. Knock on wood. But that's getting up there for a combat sports athlete. Let's take a look at something else about his career at the moment. He is 2-6 and six in his last eight fights. And in all six of those losses, he has been finished badly. And... At times, some of those fights he looked good in times. At times, you know, the, the first fight with Luke Rockhold is a darn good fight. Then he gets the crap beat out of him for the majority, for the end of the second round and then end of the third. Fourth? Let me double check. Yeah, the, sorry, the third round. He gets abused for a huge portion of that fight and then finished in the fourth. Yoel Romero. I had him 1-1 going into the third. Not everyone did, but he had a good first round. Flying knee and punches. Gegard Musasi looks okay at parts, and then you... The Musasi one was weird. Beats Gastelum. Looks good for the first round against Jacare before getting knocked out in the third. Gets smoked by Dominic Reyes. Beats Omar Yakhmetov. Here fights Hall and... Destroys his knee. The man's career is trending... Very badly. Weidman is one of the best middleweight champions the UFC has had. Uh, he got three title defenses. And, which are not easy. Turned in a great, his fight with Lyoto Machida in 2014 is a great fight. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's a great fight. Uh, but, even if we're, if we're just looking his professional career, it's trending wrong. And he's getting older. Here's the other thing about Chris Weidman. That man's career has been riddled with injuries. He's had his um, his wrist has been screwed up at times. His, he's had a knee, one of his knees, I think, he's had plenty of issues with. Um... His neck, he had like, um, I want to say he had the same uh, neck injury that Kurt Angle did, or a very similar one. So I think he's got like a couple of his vertebrae fused. He has, throughout his career, carried a significant injury load. You know, Anderson Silva, when he came back from that, not an inj had not suffered a whole host of injuries. Weidman has had a lot of injuries. Uh, I'm not saying we're never going to see him fight in the UFC again. But wouldn't be shocked if this wound up being it.
Well, I don't know what you do with your... I mean, you know, kudos to Uriah Hall. That man handled that as well as you could. Um, feel bad for him, man. This was the biggest win of his career. And he can't feel... I mean, he, he probably doesn't feel good about this. In the sense... When you're in a fight like this, if you, um, a friend of mine who fought mentioned that, uh, I'm trying to remember what fight it was he saw. Might have been one of, uh, Roy Jones's last fights when he gets just knocked out cold. Or, uh, was it Bernard Hopkins? He fought way too long. I don't know. My, one of those two. I forget which one, but one of those two gentlemen. Um, knocked out cold. And he told me, if you don't hate the guy that you do that to, it's the worst feeling in the world. Uriah doesn't hate Chris Weidman. He wanted to win. I have no doubt. But you can't feel good about doing that to another human being unless you really hate them unhealthily almost hate them you know you gotta really hate somebody to celebrate doing that and to celebrate what they're going through like that's and that is clearly not how he feels about Weidman um so I don't know I mean bump the guy up let it fight it have him fight somebody ranked above him next I suppose is all you can do uh, and kicking off the main card another weird one Anthony Smith and Jimmy Crute uh, stopped between rounds one and two via the doctor. Um, Smith, a little over halfway through the first round, lands a leg kick. And his kick right about the knee, a uh, little bit above, wraps around the back and it catches the back of the leg, the back of the knee, and his toes kind of dig in there. And it just hits the, oh, what nerve is that? I forget, I forget its name. Um, find that real fast. Oh, what nerve is it? Uh, perineal. There it is. <laughs> Found it. Um, kicked him in that nerve, and the leg goes dead. It just does. <laughs> Uh, happened to Michael Chandler the first time he fought Brent Primus. Happened a little bit when um, second fight between Henry Cejudo and Demetrius Johnson. And I mean, on the one hand, you know, Crute fought through it. He gets dropped with that kick, gets a takedown from his knees, fights up in the clinch a little bit, and that's kind of where the round ends. Can barely walk back to his corner. Dr. Ch gives... Doctor, to his credit, gives him the whole minute. Like, take every in between rounds, let the corner do their thing. When they're getting ready to start the first round, and Kroot kind of stands up, Doctor comes in and says, I need to see you walk. Walk to me, walk back. And Kroot still doesn't have full control over that leg, and he's stumbling and stepping, and the Doctor just has to wave. I mean, nothing you can do. It's Jimmy Kroot was mad. I don't blame him. But 
if you can't stand, you can't fight. <laughs> like, not a whole lot of uh, issues there. I mean, it, neither he, he wasn't, he wasn't mad at the doctor in the sense that he thinks the doctor got it wrong, or, you know, how dare he. He was like, no, I wa he felt he could keep fighting, wanted to keep fighting. And I get it, he and Smith were, you know, didn't share any animosity. The fight before that was, I thought the fight was pretty good. Smith was landing a really nice jab. Croup uh, was landing some nice kicks of his own. Um, Croup was landing leg kicks. Smith was landing the jab. It was a little bit which of these is going to add up first or open up something. And then one really nice leg kick from Smith, and we're... Pff, it changes everything. Uh, yeah, good fight for as long as it lasted. You know, I can't think of another UFC pay-per-view where every fight on the main card ends before the third round. I'm not saying it's never happened. I can't think of one. So, action and, cra again, craziness. Pure craziness. Where's the main card? Um, all finishes. Some of them brutal in a good way. Some of them brutal in a not-so-good way. Um... Again, apart from my complaints about the fans, I have no complaints about the action at all. All right. Prelims. Go quick. Randy Brown defeated Alex Oliveira via one-armed rear-naked choke, 250 of the first. Um, pulling off a one-armed rear-naked choke is hard. It's even harder in gloves. Um, was a nice choke. was a nice thing from Brown there. Look up the finish. Um, Dwight Grant defeated Stefan Sekulic via split decision. These were 29-28s. Uh, I scored this for Sekulic. Not a great fight. Brendan Allen defeated Carl Robertson with a... It was originally announced as a heel hook. I thought it was, and then got a look at the grip he used, because uh, we can't see the... The way... Um, the, the leg that was being attacked by Allen is kind of on the ground. You don't have a good camera angle of it. But if you look at the grip he's using, that's not a heel hook grip. That's more of a, a straight ankle lock or an Achilles lock. Or some minor variation on that. 4.55 of the first. Uh, Robertson did okay on the feet. But once they hit the mat, Allen was the superior grappler. Uh, nice finish. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a heel hook. Or you know, for any kind of leg lock. Uh, featherweight Patrick Sabatini defeated Tristan Connolly via unanimous decision. 130-27. That was a little bogus. Connolly should have had the third, but um, one and two were very clearly Sabatini. I think I gave Sabatini a 10-8 second. Uh, he just won it by a wide enough margin for me, but... Either way, good debut for Sabatini. Then on the early prelims, um, Dana Batkari... With a beautiful TKO over Kevin the TV Dodd, 50 seconds of the first round. Throws a... Starts orthodox. Throws a rear leg front kick, and a right hand behind it lands southpaw. Takes a little bit of a hop step back, then steps through in reverse into orthodox as he throws a left hook. Really nice, tight, powerful left hook that Natividad walks into. And finishes him off from there. Um, Dana has gone two and one in the UFC now. Uh, 
Yeah, lost his debut when he fought Alatong Hele, who I... There's a few fighters from China... Uh, how do I say this? I struggle a little bit with the naming convention. Um, just trying to understand all of it. Most places like... Mo I think even Mongolia a little bit. I think with uh, Bakary, with you know, Denahir in particular. They do... Family name, they list family name and then personal name. And I know this is the way they do it in uh, you know, most places in China, Japan, I think South Korea. Don't quote me on that, but I feel like South Korea. So that's just kind of the, that's the naming convention. They list their family name first and their personal name. So whenever you see them listed, um, this uh, this is uh, yeah, so if you see them listed, that's how they're listed most of the time. Uh, the UFC swaps them because they want to keep the naming conventions the same from all of their Western fighters, Western anyone not you know East Asian, to uh, just to the audience. So they always list first name first, last name last. But the the general convention is last name and then first name for that part of the world. Um, then there are some places, and I don't know exactly what part of China, because uh, there was there was um, two of them on this card. These gentlemen who have one name. Uh, they wind up being listed on most places as having a first and last name, but uh, it's... Um, I say one of them is like a Tibetan, not not on this card, but I think there's a guy who is um, from what used to be Tibet, you know that part of that part of China, who's uh, like this. So I, I don't know. I'm doing all I ask is that you understand. I'm doing the best I can. Anyway, so Dana, yeah, good for him. Um, Rodrigo, not Rodrigo, Rodrigo Vargas or Kazula, I think is how he prefers. Uh. Defeated Rongju is one of those one-name guys. Yeah, he's listed here on, like, wiki as Rong space Zhu, when I'm pretty sure it's just one name. Uh, 30-26 and then 229-28. 30-26 a bit odd, but Vargas clearly won that fight. Uh, I mean, kudos to Rongju, who... Where did he be Zhu Rong? Wasn't he Zhu Rong? I can't remember. No, going with Rongju at the moment, and we're just going to... If I'm wrong, I apologize. Can't do anything else. Uh, he put up a good fight on a, at, at points, but he just kind of got outworked. Um, flyweight Jeff Molina. This was your fight of the night, actually. Jeff Molina defeated uh, Oichi... Excuse me. Eri, ah, I practiced this, and I'm stumbling all over it. Defeated Oichi Leng. Yeah, that one is listed backwards here. Uh, 229, 229-28 is 129-27. Uh, this was your fight of the night. This was a darn good fight. I gave Orichi Lang the first and then Molina the second and third. Uh, these two beat the crap out of each other, and it was great. And then kicking everything off, Ariane Canalose defeated Na Leong via TKO 128 of the second. Uh, this was six and a half minutes of chaos. These two came out, hit each other, and decided, yeah, we're doing this. Um, 
they kept throwing punches. They were throwing hockey punches from the top, from you know, the half collar tie. Anytime they hit the ground, they were like there wasn't a whole lot of downtime in this fight. Uh, Nod just set a pace she couldn't keep, and Carnalosi did, and eventually got the stoppage in the second when Nod was just. The stoppage came from full guard, but Nah wasn't really doing what you want to see a fighter do when they're getting hit in the face from that position, and she she was dead tired, like she was just done. So I actually I was okay with that particular stoppage. So ultimately, four of our thirteen fights, only four of our thirteen fights go the distance. Um. And yeah, this look, man. This was a gr- this the main card in particular was great. Fast in places, you know, you got a 17 second fight that ends with a gruesome leg injury. I don't know, am I ghoulish to call that great? I mean, I'm not celebrating Weidman's injury, but it contributed to just a main card of utter chaos and violence. I mean, I said before the main card, right before the main fight. So right after Rose head kicks Zhang, like, you know, if I was watching this, if I'm another fighter and I watch these last fights, I watch Smith and Crute, I watch Holland Weidman, I watch Valentina and Andrade, and I watch Nami Yunus and Zhang, the last guy I want to fight is either Kamaru Usman or Jorge Masvidal. Because both of those guys are more than capable of just making you one more victim of obscene violence on this card. And ultimately, boy, did Usman do that. So, that uh, your performances of the night went to uh, Kamaru Usman and Rose Namajunas with fight of the night again to the aforementioned Jeff Molina and Arichi Lang. Um, yeah, I, I can't really say anything bad about this card apart from the fans. Uh, which I already did. So, thank you to everyone who read my coverage live or has read after the fact. I deeply appreciate you. It's been a long time on that, jeez. Uh, you can find my full report in the MMAZona411mania.com, and I'm going to speed up from here on, I promise. <laughs> shouldn't take too much longer. So, you can find that there. Um, leave a comment if you're so inclined. Tell your friends. I appreciate that. That helps more than anything. Let people know what I'm doing and where I can find it if you enjoy my work. I, I really do need that help. Okay, this coming Saturday, UFC on ESPN 23. Main event, light heavyweight fight, Dominic Reyes and Yuri Prohachka. This is kind of make... I shouldn't say make or break for Dom Reyes. That's That would be a bit of an exaggeration, but it is... The man went undefeated, 12-0, going into his first title shot. Gives John Jones a heck of a fight. First time I've ever come away from a fight thinking John Jones probably lost. Loses the decision. Gets another shot at the vacant belt this time and gets blasted by Jan Blahovich in the second round. Um, this will be a telling fight for him, I think. He, if he wants to get back in, if he wants to get back into top form, 
He can't afford a three-fight losing streak here. He really can't. Prochka, somewhat by contrast, um, is on a long... Not only on a long winning streak. Jeez. He has a stellar record. The man is 27-3-1. He lost once early in his career to Boyan Velichkovich, who made it to the UFC at one point. Not there anymore, but he was he, he was there for a bit. Um, lost to Abdul Karim Adolov. Went on a long winning streak. Including some names you might recognize. Um, Darko Stasic. Fought to a draw with Mikhail Moktanin. Knocked out Satoshi Ishii. Uh, <coughs> Pardon me. TKO'd current uh, Bellator bantamweight, bantamweight, current Bellator light heavyweight champion Vadim Nemkov. Uh, got knocked out by King Mo, Mohamed Lawal. Hadn't lost since. What, 10 fights? 10 or 11. Knocked out Kazuyuki Fujita, which even in 2016 is not easy to do. Only has one decision in that stretch, too. And if you look at his run through the end of Ry the last... Most of the, what he's done has been in Ryzen. He TKO'd J.Q. and Brandon Halsey, rematched Lawal and knocked him out. Knocked out Fabio Maldonado and knocked out C.B. Dalloway to get to the UFC. That man is not to be taken lightly. At all. And knocked out Volkan Uzdemir in his debut. A little bit of a wonky guy. That's a he is a weird guy. When you watch him fight, weird, but effective. I'm gonna pick here. If Prohachka, even with that resume, had a different skill set, I might pick Reyes, but I don't know, man. I think I am going to lean towards Prohachka. But it's an important fight for Reyes. Alright, co-main event. I like this fight, actually. Last time I'm going to say that about this card. Um, Cub Swanson uh, will fight Giga Chikadze. I like this fight a lot. Um, what's Cub done lately? I uh, think about it. Broke a four-fight losing streak by beating Kron Gracie and then knocking out Daniel Pineda. Let's see, not been terribly active. He fought twice in 19. Went over a year from the fight from his last fight in 19 to the one fight in 2020, which was eh, four-ish months ago. Whereas Giga, on a good winning streak, what, 5-0 and in the UFC? Yeah. Mm. It's a tough one. That's why I like it. I like the fight. I'm... <clears throat> I don't like... Say I don't like picking against Cub Swanson. That's not true. I, I'm happy to do so on occasion. I'm gonna pick Giga here, but I am not sold on Giga... Ch I, Flip a coin on this one, man. Like I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna lean towards Chikadze. Mostly because I think Cub Swanson does his best work when he is the better striker. 
And he's not the better striker of these two. Doesn't mean he can't win a striking fight with Chikadze. I just find that less likely. So, But that's a good fight. It's a really good fight. That rest of this card, another light heavyweight fight. Iwan Kutalaba and J uh, Dustin, excuse me, Dustin Jacoby. Really giving Kutalaba a get-well guy? Eh, Jacoby's not a get-well guy. Hmm. Kutalaba's last fight when he got brutally, like, murdered by... Yeah, Magomed Ankalaev. When Ankalaev put him out cold in that rematch... I'm going to pick Jacoby, but Kutalaba's, uh, he's a wild man. So that's not, that's not a given. Sean Strickland will fight Christoph Yatko. I feel okay picking Strickland here. Uh, Strickland's had a few ups and downs, but mostly since coming back to middleweight, he's been good. I mean, even his losses in the UFC aren't that bad. I mean, there too, Santiago Ponzinibbio, Canaro... <clears throat> Kamaru Usman and then Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos. Those are good guys. Um, whereas Yatko's been way up and down. On a three-fight winning streak. Yeah. Yeah, but he's not looked great in those. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Strickland there. Don't feel too bad about that. Bantamweight: Marab Dwalish really against Cody Staman. Stamen. He prefers Stamen. Surprised he didn't go with the nickname of the pistol. There's a handful of botany, uh, you know, floor, botany enthusiasts out there who get that joke. Um, I don't really have a reason to pick against Wallace really here. Uh, Stamen can be out-wrestled. Uh, was this supposed to be somebody else? I, this feels like an odd fight. Yeah, no... This was always the fight, huh? All right. Yeah. Dwellers, really. Pretty easily. And get that man somebody close to the top of the division next. Uh, women's flyweight, Poliana Botelio against Luana Carolina. Pick Botelio there. Carolina's not all that good. Anyway, that's your main card. Prelims. Let's see. Random Marcos against Luana Pinheiro. Okay, picking Marcos there. Gabriel Benitez and Jonathan Pierce. I'm okay picking Benitez there. Um, let's see. Kai Kamaka the third and TJ Brown. That's not a bad fight, actually. Pick Kamaka, but... Brown gets slept on a little bit because he's not a world beater. The women's strawweight. Uh, Luma Lukbunmi and Sam Hughes. Lukbunmi should probably take this. I mean, let's see. Yeah, yeah. Don't really feel too uh, off picking that one. Uh, Luke Sanders and Felipe Colares. Uh, I'm really going to pick Sanders here. Yeah, I think I am. I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to. And kicking everything off, welterweight, excuse me, middleweight. Andreas Michalidis and K.B. Buller. Buller? Where is Mr. Buller from? That sounds like, if it's, because uh, if it's Indian of some derivation. 
then it would be. Yeah, he's okay. Oh, isn't this um? He's fought in the UFC before. Yeah. Oh boy, Tom Breeze knocked him out. I remember that. Hmm. Nikolaitistan? No, he's Greek, but. Lost to Modestus Bukowskis. Oh, yeah, that one was stopped between rounds. I remember that. Hmm. I'll pick. Hmm. I don't know who to pick here, actually. Tell you what, I will flip a coin. That's what I'll do. I have several here. Let's see. Heads, Michelades, tails, Buller. We'll just go with that. Heads. So, picking the Greek. Uh, yeah. So, that is the event. I will not be covering this event. First time in... I am breaking my streak of, I think, like a decade at this point. No, not a full decade. Um, I've been contributing to 411 for about that long, but I haven't covered every event since then so multiple years bare minimum multiple years probably what six seven years something like that jeez boy i do not get the credit i deserve for that i don't say that often about myself because i think so low of what of most of what i do but i am a i am reliable i am old reliable uh, I will not be covering this one. My dad is getting married. And I, quite frankly, would rather be there than watch this card. So, I will not be covering this event, and that feels weird to say, man. It feels real weird. Anywho. I don't know if they'll get a replacement for that at 411, or if they'll just shut down the entire... <laughs> Zone while I'm away from keyboard. <laughs> I don't know. But if some if someone else is there, be nice to them. Uh, give them a you know give them the support. Check it out. So yeah, I will not. But I will be back here next week, and uh, I will review that show. Uh, I will review that show on this show when I preview the Sandhagen versus Dillashaw card. So I'll be back. Yeah, I'll be back Sunday. For uh, I'll be back from the wedding on Sunday, so I will be able to record this show. I will. I should have time to watch the fights, or at least read someone's recap of them. Jeez, I hate breaking routine, and this is the first time. And like I said, I'm, this routine is fairly entrenched for me. Much as I complain about it, I hate change, man. I just do. But I will. I will review it here, if nothing else. So be on the lookout for that. All right. News, such as it is. Some of it's big, some of it I, I don't want to be here forever. You don't want to be here forever, so I'm going to be brief about this. Dana White and Jake Paul have been going back and forth. Said Jake Paul was at the event last night. He and DC had a little, traded some words, apparently. Dana White was quoted, when asked about this at the post-fight press conference, Dana was quoted as saying, We will never get into business with Jake Paul, that's a freak show. Allow me to translate Dana White into English for the rest of you. Jake Paul won't take a pay cut to come do something with us. Because they're not going to pay that man 
which is which was his disclosed purse for the Ben Askren fight, to say nothing of pay-per-view points, which I'm sure he had, or sponsorship deals, which I know which I know he has. He's not going to take the pay cut to come do stuff for the UFC, so the UFC is going to throw him under the bus. This is not a this is not me advocating for Jake Paul, mind you. This is just that the UFC trying to take something approximating moral high ground about, no, we're not that freak show. Buddy, you kind of are, just only when it profits you as much as it... Jake Paul, you're not saying you don't want to do anything with Jake Paul because you're you're on some kick about, no, the purity of the UFC. Bull. Liar. Absolute liar. He's not going to play ball with you to the to the tune of financial arrangements that you won't like to deal with, so you're not going to. Which is your prerogative as a business, but you're lying about this. A Jake Paul headlined pay-per-view for the UFC would do gangbusters. You know it. I know it. The only thing stopping it is the financials. That's it. Uh... Jake Paul chimed back with a social media post. Hey, Dana, if that's true, why does every one of your fighters want to come box? What, you say you make fights the fans want to see. What are you doing about Jones and Ngannou? Yeah, give those two men $10 million each. <laughs> you know, um, I'm going to find it, actually. I might want to re- quote this. Because... Losing the high ground to Jake Paul is a feat. So, okay, here we go. Uh, I'll quote Jake Paul here. Dana, you claimed you had bet $1 million on me losing. Set up Askren to train with Freddie Roach, gave him full access to the UFC Performance Institute, and he still got his ass handed to him. Seems like you were the real douche, not Ariel. This in reference to uh, Ariel Helwani. In my third fight, I made more in total pay than any fighter in UFC history. Maybe it's time to pay your fighters their fair share. No wonder they all want to get into boxing. Dana, you say you make the fights fans want to see, so hurry up and make Jones versus Ngannou. Pay them their fair share. $10 million purse for each guy plus pay-per-view. Which is probably about fair for those two. That's me adding. Why are UFC fighters so underpaid versus boxers? Why did I make more in my third fight than all but two, Khabib and Connor in brackets, or in parentheses, UFC fighters have in history? I know why. Ellipses. Look, man. Dana, you lost the moral high ground in the argument to Jake Paul. He didn't lie anywhere in that. I mean, at, at no point. In that, <laughs> nothing he says there is false. Uh, I mean, Jack Slack made a gag that the reason DC jumped after Jake Paul was Jake Paul trying to get the fighters to unionize. <laughs> oh, which I I laughed. Jack Slack hits me funny sometimes. So Jake Paul and Dana White are trading barbs. I mean. Oh, God, it's it's just funny, man. Look, 
I'm not, again, I'm not a Jake Paul fan. Never seen a single thing either he or his brother Logan have done on YouTube or TikTok or any of that other crap. I know about them for a variety of reasons. But, I'm again, I'm not a fan. I'm not here to tell you anything good about them. I don't know anything about them. Apart from their public persona to a various, to you know, the degree that I'm exposed to it second or third hand. But you lost the high ground to Jake Paul, buddy. Like, sorry. If that's if we're judging the rounds there, buddy, that is a that's that's a round for Jake Paul. Maybe even 10-8. Not a whole lot of controversy there. Um, so I'm I am sure we will see more of those two going back and forth. Because it's what they do. Alright. Uh, let's see. Be quick through this. Uh, UFC 263. I talked a little bit about this uh, last week. Or a couple of weeks ago. One of the two. And I said that it had... Because that is host to the Davison Figueroa and Brandon Moreno rematch. That it could still use a sexier main event. Which is not a knock on those two. They put on 20... They put on a late contender for fight of the year in 2020. Uh, you know, kudos to those guys. But if you want to sell pay-per-views, and since that is a pay-per-view, you obviously want to sell them, you might need something else to help spruce that up. Well, they're giving us a middleweight title fight. Champion Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori. <laughs> All right. Apparently, uh, this reporting coming from Ariel Helwani, and look, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you how to feel about the man, when it comes to stuff like this, I tend to trust his reporting. Uh, for whatever that's worth. According to him, they offered the fight to Robert Whitaker, who fought last week for five rounds against Kelvin Gastelum, <laughs> and turned in a beautiful performance. I gushed about that plenty last week. But he's already under quarantine to get back into Australia... And the timing just didn't work. I mean, that fight is six and a half weeks out. So we would have had a full camp, fought Gastelum for five rounds, two weeks in quarantine, right back into training camp, fly back out. Like, that's the kind of grind that burned that man out. And apparently it just the timing didn't work out for him, which I understand. Like, it still sucks for him. But, so instead we get Marvin Vittori. I'm. I don't want to say that Vittori can't win the fight. He can. I favor Adesanya. Uh, but Vittori's style in particular might pose some problems for Adesanya along the way, which is okay. You know, that's what you want. This is. The only thing I want to say about this fight is the following UFC title fights are frequently a function of the lowest bidder. By which I mean this. Anytime there is more than one semi-viable option for a title fight, the UFC will go with the lowest bidder, bidding in this case being a combination of how much they have to pay you, Vittori makes less than Robert Whitaker, and your willingness to accommodate their schedule. 
I don't know how gung-ho um, Israel Adesanya was to be on this card. He might have said that he really wants to be on this card, which is fine. And again, there's there are moving parts here. This is just a generality. If we're talking about a normal combat sport, we'd get Adesanya versus Whitaker. It would just be um, another month and a half or two later. Instead, we're doing this. And we're now risking... I don't know. I mean, risking might be a strong word. But... This is a function of the UFC schedule more than it is a function of the next deserving contender. Which is not to say that Vittori hasn't been... He's on a good run. He is. I mean, he's on a good run. He's not the next guy up. The next guy up by merit is Robert Whitaker. Former champion, whose only loss in his entire history at middleweight is to Adesanya, who has beaten in his last three fights... Darren Till, Jared Cannonier, and Calvin Gastelum. He is the next man by all merit and logic. With the exception being, we're putting Adesanya on this card on this date, and if Whitaker is not able to meet the, uh, the time constraints, we will go to someone else who we pay less money to anyway, who's willing to accommodate our schedule. And thus we arrive here. Is not the. I'm not. I am not going to complain about this fight. I'm just not interested. I'm just not. Not it should be a strong way. It's a slight exaggeration. It's not the fight I want to see. But it's the fight we've got. So we'll see what happens come UFC 263, I suppose. All right. Last thing. Then I'm going to check Twitter briefly and try to sift through all the Oscar crap that I don't care about but floods my timeline. Tyron Woodley's contract with the UFC has expired, and he has entered free agency. So the third best welterweight that the UFC's ever had. Eh, third or fourth. Really depends on where you want to rank him or Matt Hughes. Like, that's... I don't know. Hughes, man... Chris's success was just so different from how most contemporary... Like, you look at the resume of contemporary champions, it's not that they never lose the belt and regain it, but that's not common. You know, for Hughes, a couple of times... I don't know. I tend to think... I tend to rank Woodley above Hughes. Might be a bit too much personal bias going into that, but I don't know. Anyway, so he's entered free agency... Might wind up back with Scott Coker in uh, in Bellator, so I don't know. But uh, might like his chances at a PFL tournament, too. Who knows? Uh, that didn't go so great for Anthony Pettis. <laughs> uh, but we'll see where Woodley lands. But he is, uh, at a bare minimum, no longer in the exclusive negotiating portion of his contract with the UFC and is a free agent. All right, let me check Twitter real fast, and then we'll get out of here. Alright, does not look like anything crazy MMA-related is broken, apart from a Whitaker statement on uh, UFC on the main event for 263, where he said, I don't care, I hope they beat the hell out of each other. <laughs> Good on you, Bobby Knuckles. Good on you. Alright, my plugs for this week. 
Monday, I will be covering AEW Dark Elevation. I will also be recording a podcast. There will be a special Monday Damn You Hollywood for the... Uh, I think it's available... Uh, uh, I rented it on Prime because I had to. The Morgan Freeman and Ruby Rose uh, I, movie, Vanquish. I'm lost to describe... I know exactly how I'm going to describe that movie on the podcast, but it w- I don't know how much that would mean to all of you. Um... Yeah, that's a thing. Tuesday, myself, Mark Radlich, and Alexis Haina will review the new Mortal Kombat movie, so tune in for our thoughts on that. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the otherwise. Um, my contribution to the three R's should be up. This would be for the last week's edition of WWE SmackDown. Well, you can also find my full report for WWE SmackDown uh, in the Wrestling Zone of 411 Mania. Wednesday, I will be covering AEW Fusion, AEW, MLW Fusion, too many acronyms, not even acronyms, they're initializations, Uh, bonus points if you know the difference, Um, as for, um, man, I'm kind of trying to gear up for May, because I've got a fairly busy May, actually, now that I've kind of got my schedule laid out. May's going to be pretty busy. But, yeah, the 26th will be Vanquish. <laughs> Poor Jesse. We're joined by Jesse Starcher for that. That's me, Mark, and Jesse. The last time the three of us got together was for a TV party <laughs> for a series on Amazon Prime called Too Old to Die Young, and it turned into a three-hour group therapy session. <laughs> oh, boy. It was fun, though. A lot of fun. Then the 27th, The Damn You Hollywood for Mortal Kombat. That's all I've got this week. Um, May kicks off and we've got a lot of stuff. May 2nd, I will be... I'm coming back from... Again, my dad's wedding. I'll be back here Sunday. I'm going to have to record this show. Um, That one might even get pushed to a really odd hour. So be on the lookout for that for more, like, Monday evening. Uh, Anyway, just... Just, again, kind of be aware about that. That one might be a little bit later than usual. Um, so there's that. Uh, so that, I will be recording this, and then, thing I was getting to, I will be reviewing Demon Slayer the Mugen Train with, that will be me, for a damn you Hollywood with me, David Wright, Mark Radlich, and Mark's daughter, Lily. That particular group of people assembled to discuss the first season of Demon Slayer not all that long ago. And now that the movie's out, we're going to do that. So be on the lookout. And then, yeah, May. I got a sneak peek at the schedule. I need to scroll up and see if I can find it here through my list of messages. It hasn't hasn't have totally been uh, posted yet. But... Um... Yeah, I think here we go. So when we get into May, uh, let's see. I need to do. There we go. Um. Yeah, May. I'm May. I'm pretty busy. There's gonna be the Falcon and the Winter Soldier review, which I haven't watched yet, but will be shortly. I'm going to do one for uh, Damn You Hollywood for The Woman in the Window. There's going to be a Damn You Hollywood for Spiral, assuming it finally comes out. 
Um, I agreed to do a TV party for Jupiter's Legacy. That'll be something. Oh, I'm, I agreed. Did I really agree to do that? I did. Agreed to do the source material for that as well. I have to read that. Uh, shouldn't be too hard. Shouldn't be too difficult. Um, Mighty Ducks Game Changers is going to be wrapped up by then, so we'll be reviewing that on the 20th. Uh, Army of the Dead comes out. Yeah. May is going to be... Uh, I've been... Yeah. Um, not, you know, I've been lax this month, but May is going to be pretty busy. May is going to be a busy month. Uh, anyway, be on the lookout for all of that. Um, anything else? Yeah, I will be covering SmackDown on Friday because we're leaving Saturday morning and then just coming back Sunday morning-ish. Ish, yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. All right. Unless my cold rears, unless I get sick again. And I'm not going to a wedding to spread that crap around, so. Hope not. I I would really rather be at my dad's wedding than not. So. That's where you can find me. Um, I'm on Twitter at Win3MMA. I'm not the best follow in the world, but I'm not going to pollute your timeline with a lot of crap either, so. As a thought. Maybe give me a follow over there. And yeah, that will be it for me. Thank you all very, very much. Longer episode than usual, I know, but a lot of stuff to talk about relative to UFC 261. Be back next week, give or take. Until then, thank you all very much. Like, comment, subscribe, share, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a stranger. Stay safe, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.